Hi, thank you for listening to Trinity San Diego Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message will encourage you. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, you can partner with us to reach others by investing at trinitysandiego.org. Thanks once again. Now here's Pastor Todd. And so I'm grateful that you're here today. Uh, I'm going to dive right in. Uh, I believe God's put a word on my heart. And I know you all want to go to lunch. uh, And you all have big plans and reservations. You're like, Pastor, please be done by noon so I can get to the restaurant at 12 or 1230 so I don't have to have, you know, call and be that person and say I'm late, okay? I get it. I understand. But we're going to dive in. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But we've been in this uh, Jesus in the Middle series or collection of talks. Last week, I talked about Jesus in the middle of your storm. We've all walked it through a storm in some capacity, but one of my uh, really focal points of that message is when Jesus is in your boat, there's no way you're going to sink. That's right. Amen? Amen? I like it. You're already shouting back, and I haven't even really started yet. I'm going to go in today. It's going to be great. Amen? Um, and so this week, we're talking about Jesus and the struggle. Um, we all have struggled in some capacity, some great, some small, but we're going to dive into that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I hope you do. How many have a Bible? How many uh, people brought like your hard back or your, your back? You know, like raise your Bible up here. Let's see it. Okay, how many electronic people? Okay, I see you. I would hate for the battery to run out when you really need the word. Hello. Anyways, let's let's dive into this. It's found in Matthew 27, uh, verses 45 uh, through 50. It'll be on your screens as well, but I encourage you, um, take notes, even if you're doing it on your phone. Uh, It's a great way where you retain information, and we know note-takers are... Yeah, note takers are history makers. Uh, It gets in your heart. You can really dive in. And I like to look at things even after I've read it because sometimes the preacher says something. And then I'm, in the, I'm, I'm out doing my daily tasks, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I'm struggling. I need whatever the pastor said. And then you can dive right back in on that. Amen? All right, so but I do need you to talk back to me. Uh, this is participation. When you go to a sporting event, uh, you, when you see someone score a touchdown, you don't go... No, you actually get in and you're like, yes, you know, like you're, you're fired up. You know, some people are more fired up for their sports team scoring touchdowns than the savior of the world. Anyways, I'm just, I'm, we'll just leave that there. I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to read, I'm going to read the Bible. Okay. I'm going to read the Bible. So no one gets offended. Okay. We're having fun here. Church is meant to be enjoyed, not endured. Amen. All right. So the death of Jesus from, so uh, it's on your screens, Matthew 27, 45 through 50. It says from noon until three. In the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Now bear with me. Eloi, Eloi, lemeshabachthane. Did I do it right? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about that for a moment. Jesus on the cross, arms out wide. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many times, you don't have to raise your hand, not a guilt trip, But how many times have you been in a moment where you're like, my God, where in the world are you? Honestly, like, we can be real. You know, I'm going to be transparent. 
I don't think that, that the pastor should not be transparent. We don't live, we, we oftentimes a church pre- preaches promises and we preach all about the promises, but we forget about the pressing that happens to get to the promises, the pressing of the grape to get to the wine, the pressing of the struggle that gets to the promise that's in front of us. We so often preach promise that we forget about the pressing that happens in the moment. And Jesus was pressed, let me tell you, on every side. And he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he is calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got him a sponge. Can you imagine the atmosphere, the stench? The, the, I just hear, I mean, like if you've watched the, the Passion of the Christ or you've been to a Passion play and you hear the screeching and the yelling and the crying out and the people on the cross that are suffocating and here these people are. Immediately he ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Now, if you have your Bible there, what I want you to pen in there and put it in pen, don't pencil it in there. But when Jesus gave up his spirit, it's so we can have it. He gave up his spirit so you and I can have it. What a promise. What power. What ability that we have to go to the king of the world and get his power. Amen. Amen. The title of my message is back to your back to life. Look at your neighbor and say back to life. Look at the other one that you neglected and say back to life. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful that you rose on that third day so that we could have hope. Hope is a strong and confident expectation that no matter what we're walking through, you're with us. We love you today in your name. And everyone said, everyone said, if you love Jesus, make some noise. All right. Well, um, how many have ever struggled? If you have a pulse, put your arm up. Honestly, I mean, like we've all struggled in some capacity, whether it's struggling in body, whether it's struggling in mind, we have uh, different types of struggle. We have some great struggle, like huge. Then we have some struggle that's like, that's life altering. We have some struggle that's life changing. We have some struggle that's overwhelming to the point where you are so stressed out, you don't even eat, you don't even sleep, right? Is that just me? Am I the only one that has struggle that I don't sleep and I don't eat? Oh, no, no. We all have that type of struggle. And then we have some struggle that is small, that is like, you know, this is the type of struggle that at least our relationship gets in. Where do you want to go to eat? Oh, I don't know. Okay, well, do you want to go to uh, El Ranchito? Do you want to go to, uh, what are some of the other places that we, Las Olas? Do you want to go, we name all these different places, and I'll name them, and she'll go, I don't want to go to any of those places. I'm like, you said wherever you want, and here I am giving you 28 different places, and you don't want to go to any of them. Tell me what you, you know, that's a struggle, and the struggle's real. I mean, that happens on a variety of different levels. We have so many different struggles. Uh, We do personally, us as a body of believers, us as people, maybe you don't believe in Jesus, but you have struggles. It's It's just the nature of life, and we have struggles. And this week, I had a lot of challenges for whatever reason. Maybe it's spiritual warfare. Maybe it's things that are going on because Easter was happening. Maybe it's just another level of stress. And just to be transparent, I didn't sleep for two days. I mean, like I slept for probably, Katie can tell you like what, 
two hours in two days. Stress to the max. I don't know. It had nothing to do with Easter. It was just life. Life stress. It was just whatever. And in that stress, I love children. I have two little children. Carter's eight. I match him today. Praise God. I hate matching my kids like that. I'm not that we're not that family. Thanks, babe. But um, the purple shirts, like, so I'm just going to take this coat off eventually, and we're just going to get a purple shirt because we're going to be the purple shirt crew. Anyways, uh, but in the, in the midst of my struggle, we put Carter to sleep. And if you don't know Carter, Carter's eight years old, and he's on the autism spectrum. And so when he's on the autism spectrum, he gets fixated and focused on something, and it's World War III. I'm talking especially at bedtime. It's like all hell's breaking loose. We're in a world of hurt. And so um, when I was in Washington, D.C., if you know Carter, Carter loves airplanes. We have 867 million airplanes, and they are stacked in a row down our hallway, and, it'll, and he'll be like, oh, well, this is an A380, 282, Boeing, 727, 36. And I'm like, my word, what in the world? I mean, like, he'll give me this whole runaround of, of an airplane. But this particular airplane, uh, this is kind of an illustration from it, but uh, he, it was the middle, of, or it's not the middle of the night. We're putting him to bed, and he comes to me, and he goes, Daddy. You know, kid's dramatic. It's bedtime. He's trying to just extend it. We know. I know what he's doing. He's like, Daddy. Daddy. I'm like, what, Carter? Go to bed. You know, I'm like, just, let's just be real. I do that. Go to bed. He's like, well, Daddy, you have no idea. And I'm like, what? And he's like, Patrick. And I'm like, Patrick. This is Patrick, people. I went to Washington, D.C. I picked this up for him. I thought it'd be great. It's a little blue angel. Uh, we love blue angels. It's amazing. If you serve our country, thank you, and all the different branches. But... Um, he goes, Patrick, he's wounded. <laughs> and I go, I, I pick up Patrick, and I'm like, Patrick's fine. And he goes, no, he's wounded. And I go, what's wrong? And he lifts him up, and the wheel is falling off. And in the struggle of my world at that moment, I'm sleeping like two hours a night. I, I, you, know, you know parents don't uh, tell the truth, shame the devil. You make crazy lies to your children. <laughs> And you're like, oh, I'll fix it. So you know what happened? I tried to do it just to get him to go to bed. I go, I'll sew it. I'll sew it. And he goes, he goes, okay. I go, you got to go to bed. You got to go to bed first. I got to go to bed. He's like, okay. So he lays down, goes to sleep. And the next day, are you going to fist Patrick for me? You know, it's so dramatic. I'm like, Carter, you have 986 million airplanes. You're going to fixate on this one? And he goes, oh. he goes, but Patrick. I said, okay, I'll go to Walmart to get whatever I need. Well, I forgot. Transparent, being a real pa or parent. I forgot. Don't judge me, people. I know you forget doing stuff for your kids, too. Come on. And so the next day, I, I was literally driving home, and I was on the verge of forgetting again. I was like, Walmart, and I just immediately, and I went and got a sewing kit, and I sat down, and it's a crummy job of sewing. But you know what? In my struggle, and in the struggle of sewing, the hardest part of sewing was just to get that needle and that thread. I even had the thing that goes into the thing that you pull it out, and all of a sudden it threads the needle. I'm like, it took me 38 minutes just to get the needle threaded. <laughs> and I'm sitting on the edge of the couch, and I'm intricately, it was, I mean, it, I couldn't do it. I had to use like, a, a, what do you call those things that go on your finger? Thimble. A thimble, thank you. Uh, I had to use a thimble just to get the needle through because it's like plastic. But the thing is, is, is that that struggle in that moment, okay, that I'm going to make it spiritual here in a moment, that struggle in that moment of my little boy, 
Okay, that my personal struggle didn't define my worth. My personal, Carter's personal struggle with this didn't define his value. It didn't define his worth. It didn't define who he was. It was just a moment. And think about this for a moment. If we look at Jesus on the cross, Jesus on the cross, and we only take that part because oftentimes what we do is we take parts of Scripture and we go and we define people's lives based upon that Scripture. And the thing is, is what if someone defined your own personal life by one little chasm of your life, by one little microcosm of your life, that they defined your whole life based upon that? Based upon that one struggle. So if you read that Bible here, and you read this, that context and that text, and you see Jesus' arms stretched out, he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's focusing one piece on, if we focus just on that text, things look pretty bleak, don't they? But here on this Resurrection Sunday, I've come to remind you that it's just not about that part of the struggle, that there's more to the story, that God is about redemption, bringing things back to life, taking dead things and making them alive again. Amen? Amen. And so maybe you've walked in here and you have had some struggle in your life. Maybe that divorce, you've walked in here with that divorce and that divorce has defined your life or you feel like it's defined your life. Maybe singleness has defined your life and you're saying, well, I've been single. I'm going to always be single. That's what's going to happen with me. I'm just always going to be single. That's the way it's going to define my life. That's been a personal struggle. So I'm going to live that way. Maybe success, maybe success for a moment has been your struggle, that it's always the level of measure to achieve. Because I think we look at struggle and we only look at struggle in one capacity. We only look at it from a negative. But I think that success can even be a struggle because sometimes what we do is if we don't measure up, then all of a sudden our life is defined by the success that we have. And if we don't measure up, then what happens to us is we are uh, lower than what we achieve or what we appear to be. Maybe um, it's a mindset. Maybe it's you haven't had a job for quite some time and you let that struggle define who you are. Maybe it's that relationship, your marriage is on the rocks and you've let that define. Maybe, and and I don't want to minimize anything, but maybe you've walked in here and you have abuse in your past. And I'm not going to, I don't want to minimize anything that we've walked through. But I want to give you truth to be told that, that, that your struggle doesn't define your worth, it doesn't define your value, it doesn't define who your Savior is, because your struggle, your Savior will always overcome the struggle when you give the the Savior your struggle. So what you have to do is you have to give it back to Him. And I believe that Scripture is filled with struggle. I mean, oftentimes you go, oh, this Bible, it's so hard to read. I can't understand any of it. It's old English. I don't get it. It's in the Greek. It's in the Hebrew. Oh, it's too much. Well, can I just give you, whether you've had a lot of understanding of the Bible or you've had very minimal understanding of the Bible, I'm going to give you people that have struggled in the Bible. Can I do that for a moment? Okay, you're with me. Thank God. It'd be really weird if you weren't. And you're like, no. Um, I would have probably just said, okay, we're going to the Easter egg hunt. Have a great life. Anyways, uh, But I'm reminded, and these are stories of people that you will know. If you've been in church or even around church or even understand church, or maybe you haven't been around church, uh, there have been films that are about some of these people. So you will have some sort of context for where this message is coming from. But I'm reminded of a guy named Noah. Do you think Noah had a little struggle? God told him to build a boat in a desert. (laughs) Hey, go out to Borrego and build an ark. Have a good time. What do you think people are going to say? 
The whole time he's building that boat. Everyone's ridiculing him. Talk about some struggle. Talk about some hurt. Talk about some pain. He's just sitting there still building. They're ridiculing him. They're making fun of him. But all of a sudden, when they needed help, when God actually talked to Noah, and when they needed help, who were the ones that were beating down the door trying to get into the house, trying to get in the ark? Because they didn't understand the significance of what Noah was doing. His struggle on one end looked really ridiculous. But God has a way of bringing things back to life full circle. Amen? Think about a man named Joseph in Genesis 37 uh, through 50, chapter 37 through 50. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. That's a pretty bad day. I mean, I don't know about you. I haven't been sold into slavery by my brother. I mean, that's pretty significant. And yet the hand of God was on him, even in the struggle, that that struggle of Joseph actually proved God's redemption in his life, that although he was a slave and sold into slavery, God brought it about for good. I think of Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the Pentateuch. And Moses did some pretty incredible things. Uh, the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, to the point where he got off that, mount, that mountain and his face was glowing. Think about that for a moment. His face was glowing that they had to veil him because the presence of God was so on him. Uh, he parted a sea. I told a story a few weeks ago that when I was in college, I wish I could go down to Lake Washington. I'm originally from the Seattle-Tacoma Seattle area. I wish I could go down to Lake Washington and go. I, I believe so many people would like all of a sudden follow Jesus if I could go to the lake and I could go, part with my, with my staff, you know, and like all of a sudden I could walk from Kirkland to Seattle on dry ground. I mean, like I've, I've, I've gone to the lake and I've been like, you know, like my faith is like, no, nope, it won't happen today. But Moses did some pretty incredible things, right? I mean, remarkable things. Uh, but, but yet, we look at moments like parting the Red Sea, and that's so significant, and writing the Ten Commandments, and writing the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. But yet, we, don't, we, we fail sometimes to look at uh, Numbers 11, 14 through 15a. It says, this is what Moses says to God. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Parents? Y'all are there with me, right? You understand it? If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. I would talk about Moses struggling a little bit. But we know God utilized Moses to get his people out, out of the captives of the Israelites so that he could go and eventually get them to the promised land, right? So, Mo so God used Moses through his struggle that the struggle was part of his story. I think of Job. Job was a man so faithful, so, so faithful in so many different ways, who lost everything. Job lost his house. He lost his riches. He lost his cattle. He lost his health. He even lost his own children. He was down to nothing. His friends were saying, you know, his wife said, curse God and die. Think about that. Talk about a bad day. To be perfectly honest, talk about the struggle being real, right? right? Sitting there in a world full of shame has every reason to say, God, see you later. Have a great life. But he was still faithful. And what did God do? In his struggle, 
in Job's struggle, he still praised God. And when he praised God, what ended up happening? A full circle redemption ended up happening. Things were brought back to life. God unfolded a lot to Job. He blessed him multiple times over because of the faithfulness that through the struggle, it didn't define his story. He allowed the struggle to be part of his story, but he didn't allow the struggle to be the only story in his life because he knew he served a God that was redeeming God, that would take care of him, that would love him, that would be compassionate to him because of his faithfulness. So I ask you today, what are you struggling with? I think of someone like David. We oftentimes look at King David. You know that rock slinging, killing Goliath. Well, he killed Goliath. And then what happens, uh, he goes back into town after, after a couple other battles and he says, uh, the ladies of the city um, said, Saul has killed his thousands, David tens of thousands. Well, Saul got a little jealous <laughs> and on multiple occasions tried to murder David. Multiple occasions. I don't know about you, but I haven't had an attempted murder, someone trying to get at me, <laughs> honestly. I mean, so I would say David's struggling just a hair. And he gets so fearful that in 1 Samuel 22, I actually read this in my devotions, that's where part of this came from, where I read it in my Bible reading plan this week, was that David went into a cave because he was so scared of his life. That, but he, didn't, he already had success. He had success of killing a giant and killing multiple people and being this great warrior. However, he's, he has this struggle of this king that's trying to kill him. So he goes and retreats into a cave. And in that cave, I believe God did, its great, did some of his greatest work on David because 400 men in that cave all of a sudden became these mighty fighting warriors because they were all retreated to the cave. And sometimes your cave moments that are your struggling moments actually produce the calling on your life to accomplish and make a difference the thing that God has put in your heart. And sometimes you have to walk through some things to get to some things so God can reveal himself on what your purpose really is. And so here David is hiding out in a cave, freaking out, didn't know what to do. But yet God did a work on him. So he didn't let his struggle define who his savior was. He allowed God to work on him in that cave. I'm reminded of Ruth. Ruth had a tough life. Honestly, Ruth had a tough life. Uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi, had a tough life too. But I, one thing I love about Ruth is she was loyal. Let me just preach to that for a second. Be loyal. Oh, it got quiet. I know I'm preaching to something now. I know whenever the church goes quiet, you know I'm hit a nerve. And that's something I need to preach on. Be loyal. Be loyal to your job. Be loyal to your spouse. Be loyal to your friends. Be loyal to, to the, the, the co-worker around you. Be loyal. Oh, well, you don't know what's been done to me. Well, you know what? Maybe you should be loyal in the first place and see what will come back to you. Okay, I'm going to leave that there. Uh, just stir on that. Hello. Uh, but, but Ruth, Ruth and Naomi. Naomi was her mother-in-law. Naomi lost her husband and her two sons, one of which Ruth was married to. I would probably venture to say that I've lost my father. I've never lost my father-in-law. But I would probably venture to say that that's pretty difficult in a span of a short amount of time of losing two sons and a husband or your father-in-law and your husband. Pretty difficult. Pretty challenging. But yet, Ruth stayed loyal 
to Naomi, and Naomi encouraged her to talk to a man named Boaz. She went to Boaz. Ruth went to Boaz and said, hey, you're going to be my kinsman redeemer. And what kinsman redeemer means is the one who delivers and rescues. And I believe that that was a foreshadowing of Jesus coming to take care of us. He was the, it was the foreshadowing of someone that was going to deliver and rescue. So this woman that came in that had been so broken said, you know what? I believe that you can take care of me. And what did he do? He took care of her. He didn't allow the struggle, or she didn't allow the struggle in the moment to define her story. Amen. I think of Lazarus. <laughs> Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was dead. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about the struggle being real. He didn't have a fighting chance. But what ends up happening? He, didn't, <laughs> he had no choice, but the struggle wasn't his story. Because there's a man named Jesus that came in and transformed, and, and transformed to the point where that man was dead. Had actual burial clothes on in the tomb. And Jesus says, rise up and walk. And here this dead man comes out of the tomb. Pretty powerful, right? Pretty significant. Pretty amazing. But the death of Lazarus wasn't just a part of his story. There was a redeeming factor. I'm reminded of Lazarus. I'm sorry, I just said that. <laughs> I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. You're judging me. I'm reminded of a man named Todd. That would be me. And uh, I'm not in the Bible, but I've had major insecurity issues. I've been labeled. I've been laughed at. Katie and I have had our challenges prior to marriage and have our own challenges inside of our marriage. I have... Um, been faithful to God all the way through, but yet I've struggled. I've struggled personally. I've been fired before. I've been released of positions that I thought were forever positions. I had a son that I thought, we thought everything was A-OK, -okay, and lo and behold, what ends up happening, we find out he's on the autism spectrum, which actually is the greatest blessing on the planet, so I don't want it to sound negative. But yet, that's a struggle every day. Even this moment, even this morning, he was so stuck because we're out of routine. Easter Sunday's out of routine. So I'm having to walk with him to try to calm him down so that I can get him to go and get him to function in a way that he can function to make things work. I moved to San Diego with my whole family. That's kind of a step of faith and there's been struggles along the way. But you know what? Those struggles aren't going to define my story. The struggles are a part of my story. The struggle that you're facing today is part of your story, but it's not the whole story. And I'm reminded of people in this room that have been dictated their self-worth by, self by their bosses, by their parents, by their spouse, by their friends, by their coworkers. You've been told things that you, you should have never been told. And you've been, you've put, there's things that have been pressed on you that should have never been pressed on to you. You weren't smart enough. You weren't good enough. You weren't qualified enough. You weren't pretty enough. But I've come to remind you today that the God of the universe loves you. He loves you. And if you didn't know that today, I, I just have a few simple scriptures that I want to read to you. God says, you might want to take a picture of this and take a reminder with you. Maybe post it on Facebook to say that you are here uh, just so you can get your check mark for Easter. I'm kidding. <laughs> Anyways, God says, you're beautiful, Psalm 45, 11. You're unique, Psalm 139, 13. You are loved, Jeremiah 30, uh, 31, 3. You are special, Ephesians 2, 10. You are created with a purpose, Jeremiah 29, 11. You are cared for, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. You are lovely, Daniel 12, 3. You are precious, 1 Corinthians 6, 20. Do I need to keep going? No. 
Come on, you want me to keep going? You are strong, Psalm 18.35. You are forgiven, Psalm 103.12. You are protected, Psalm 112.3. You are chosen, John 15.16. You are family, Ephesians 2.9. You are mine, Isaiah 43.1. I tell you that your struggle is real, but it's not the only part of your story. God wants to bring you back to life, and you are His he, God didn't make mistakes. He made you. Amen. You're not a mistake. You're his son. You're his daughter. Your worth is far greater than what your struggle is. I have one point and one point only. You're welcome. You thought I was going to go straight Pentecostal, preach till three, and then call it good. Nope. One point, one point only, and I want to make it easy for all of you. Your struggle is your setup. Look at your neighbor and say, your struggle is your setup. Your struggle is your setup. You must flip the pers your perspective. Because if I only read the original text of verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When uh, those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on its staff and offered it up to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah comes. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. You see, the struggle and the isolation of the cross was actually a setup for the whole story to even be complete. Because you got to think, if Good Friday was the only thing that happened, guess what? We're in a world of hurt. Because if we define Jesus' story by his struggle on the cross, and we forget about the, redemption, the redemptive power and his resurrected life, that's the completion of the story. I think a lot of times we put so much emphasis on the cross that we forget about the resurrection, and the resurrection is where we have new life. So if we, def I don't, I, I, I'm just going to be real. I don't want people to judge my story based upon a little, a little blip of my life. I want them to look at the whole story. So I'm not just going to judge Jesus on the cross while he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm going to look at here in Genesis, or I'm sorry, Genesis. In Matthew 28, verse 5, it says, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. The struggle of Jesus did not define his worth. It was a byproduct of the story for you and I to have eternal life. The enemy of the world tells, our, tells us that your struggle dictates who you are and defines who you are. Yet you have a Savior that died on the cross for your sins forever so that you don't have to live the way that you lived and you don't have to focus on the struggle, but you can focus on the Savior in the struggle and then you will define your worth. Jesus didn't conquer death, hell, and the grave so that your struggle could define your story. I have a quick illustration. Did Duncan take off? Uh, Jaylene, come on up here. Come on up here. I shocked her. Come on up here. Do you want this? Honestly. Yes. Yeah, she wants it. Okay, this is a crisp. I hope I didn't rip it. That'd be awkward. A $20 bill. Do you want it? Yes. Okay. Do you want it? 
You want it? <laughs> okay. Do you still want it? Yeah. You see, friends, the $20 bill did not lose its value, whatever it's struggling with. No matter if it was torn up, to the floor up, on the ground, broken, beaten, hurting, guess what? It still has its worth. And some of you here, you can have it, by the way. Go ahead. Some of you walked into here, and you walked in here, and you walked in here by your struggle. You walked in here because you've been beat up, you've been hurt, you've been bruised, you've been battered, and you've allowed your struggle to dictate your worth when you have a Savior on the cross that looks down on you and says, you know what? Your struggle does not define your worth. I took that on my back on that cross for you so that you could have eternal life. And some of you walked in here and you look at that struggle and you look, oh, man, that $20 bill, that's kind of like me. That's kind of like me. Broken, beaten, put down, hurting. You've been stomped on. You've been t torn apart from time. But you know what? I'm come to remind you that your struggle, that your issues, do not that, that does not dictate your worth to the Savior. For why would he send his son to die on the cross if you weren't worth it? If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes.